you know, my name is Josh. I'm a, a marine mammal scientist um, and a master's student at the, the University of British Columbia. Um, I'm very interested in seeing the world and how we can collaborate and really, um, you know, work together to try to do amazing research on these amazing animals, especially killer whales. Um, like to see, uh, you know, transboundary research happening between different countries and, and conservation aspects uh, being shared between the different, um, like United States and Canada would be really awesome to see more of that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm hoping that the, in the future here we'll start to see protection for killer whales that are stronger for the residents. And you know, so that's kind of the world I hope to see in the next 10 years. My name is Justine and I am a certified marine naturalist. I've been working on the water with uh, eco tours, uh, talking to people about the whales for over 10 years. And the world I'd like to see is one where um, the scientific community and uh, regular people can all work together to help conserve and protect uh, whales and the other animals that make our ecosystem here in the Salish Sea unique and uh, beautiful the way that it is. Hi, I'm Mark Larian, and thanks for tuning in to Scanna, a podcast about orcas, oceans, and the environment for fans of fact-based reality and reality-based facts. When I talk about how amazing orcas are, there's one orca story that almost always blows people's minds. The orcas in Argentina who hunt on land. I figure it started out something like this. So a group of sea lions narrowly escapes being captured by a pod of mammal-eating orcas. They drag themselves onto the beach, and then one of them makes the mistake of doing the sea lion equivalent of Next thing you know, one of the orcas decides, oh yeah, I'll show you. And she hurls herself onto the beach and rolls back into the water, dragging that smug sea lion back into the ocean where she becomes Argentinian orca chow. For years, everyone believed this wild behavior was completely unique until researchers on the Salish Sea discovered some transient or big orcas doing the exact same trick here to catch seals. Today, we're talking to my friend Josh McKinnis from the Transient Killer Whale Research Project and naturalist Justine Buckmaster about the amazing discovery that seals on the rocks of Protection Island are not protected from Biggs orcas. As always, Scan is brought to you by our pod at patreon.com. So, if you like what we're doing, please help us share more stories more often by joining our pod and sponsoring us at patreon.com backslash Scanna. You can also visit our site, Scanna.org, where you can make one-time donations via Ko-fi, or find out more about my books about orcas, and my books that aren't about orcas. Also, please click subscribe so you don't miss any of our awesome upcoming interviews. And make sure to check out our new podcast, Orca Bites, where we feature shorter bite-sized interviews about orcas, oceans, ecoethics, and the environment. And now, our first ever attempt at interviewing two different people on Zoom at the same time. Here are Justine Buckmaster and Josh McInnes 
talking about the tricky hunting moves of transient orcas. So to kick this off, we're in the middle of COVID, we're on Zoom. How are you? Where are you? Justine, you want to start? <laughs> sure. Um, uh, well, I'm <laughs> in the living room of my apartment where I've been pretty much all winter. Um, the pandemic has actually been pretty busy uh, for me. I've been working at home uh, editing photos and sending them out to the relevant uh, research outfits so that they can use them for um, the proof of pre presence and, you know, which individuals are in which areas and things like that. So uh, things really haven't slowed down much for me, even though I've been mostly working for home, from home for the last few months. And where is home? Uh, that would be Muckleteo, Washington, in northern Puget Sound. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm glad I asked that. Yeah, I am uh, right now, currently, the, uh, it's been crazy a couple of months. Um, other things I've been up to, I'm now currently at, uh, I started a new affiliation with uh, the Marine Mammal Research Unit. So that's at UBC um, and the Institute for Oceans and Fisheries. Um, I'm currently not traveling much uh, as I used to, uh, not going to Antarctica and any of those places. Our season in California was canceled, but uh, we're really excited. We got a couple of new papers. Uh, one just just published um, with Justine actually as a co-author, um, and uh, we we were really excited about that. Um, and we have another paper coming out right now on Antarctic killer whales, which I'm really excited about. Um, uh, some work with my colleagues in Australia, and we have a new catalog um, that's right now in press with the U.S. government. So we're waiting for. The, the go ahead for a new transient catalog, which we're really excited about. So a little mucho hush hush, but I'm kind of excited about that too. So I'm here in Victoria, um, yeah, but missing the sunny shores of Monterey. Very cool, thank you. So you gave me a heads up that you you were on to something amazing about the transient orcas out here and some transients who've discovered a new way to hunt. Now, do you want to start on that? Or Justine, do you want to start on that? Uh, Justine, you want to go for it? You want to start on, on this one? Since, uh, you know, you did some amazing photography with it. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, it was um, back in 2016, I think. Uh, we, I was working on a boat called the Chilcat Express. Um, and we were making our way actually towards the San Juan Islands where we had a report of resident orcas. But on the way, we actually found a couple groups of transients. And um, we followed one group over to Protection Island. And um, that's a wildlife reserve off the north end of the Olympic Peninsula. And Protection Island is well known for its large harbor seal haul-outs. We get hundreds of harbor seals there. It's one of our favorite places just to stop and look at the seals. And in this particular event, the transient orcas on the westernmost tip of the island, where the beach slopes at a shallow angle, actually beached themselves. Uh, one in particular, T65A2, the, uh, I believe he's a sub-adult male at this point, actually came out onto, almost onto the beach. He actually ran aground 
his belly was on the rocks, grabbed a seal as it was uh, galloping into the water and actually swam back out into the deeper water and shared it with his family. See, if you're a seal, you've got to be great. That's cheating. No fair. I am safe. You know, right. it's like when you're playing a game as a kid, it's like, no, I'm in the safe spot. <laughs> I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be as a seal. I'm on the rocks. So can you describe these whales just like leaping out to take the seals out? Yeah, it, it was really amazing to watch. Um, when, well, I was... When I was watching it at first, I was a little bit worried because you could actually see uh, T-65A2 come to a complete stop. He wasn't really like jumping out of the water, but you could see he was swimming so fast under the water, you could see the wave he was making off of his head. And he couldn't submerge because the water was too shallow. So you could see his dorsal fin and his back the whole time as he was making his way up to the beach and then he just came to a full stop. And I was like, oh no, he's stuck. But then after he grabbed the seal, he pivoted to his left and it kind of squirmed his way back into deeper water. And it was just water everywhere. The seals panicked and some of them fled up higher onto the beach. Some of them fled into the water. And I think that's what they wanted is some of them to flee into the water so they were easier to grab. Wow. So this is actually not, I mean, when I did my book, Orcas Everywhere, one of my the favorite stories I learned about was this whale maggot in Argentina, who somebody described as the Thomas Edison of orcas for coming up with a couple of new hunting techniques nobody would ever seen. Any idea who came up with this for the for this group of transients? Um, it's really cool. It's actually this is this is so fascinating. You know, Justine told me about this, and we were kind of we just we, you know with her um, just being so supportive of research and. And the photos she collects are so so unreal. Um, and it was it was one of those things, you know, in the '90s, the early '90s, there was actually um, a uh, report, an anecdotal report, of killer whales intentionally stranding at Protection Island, and it was published in a paper of Baird and Dill, 1995, which was in the uh, Journal of Canadian Zoology, and it, but nobody had photographs of it. And it was only happened once, but. So when I heard about this, I was like, oh my God, it's the same place. And, but even though, you know, we don't see it very often um, and how maybe these orcas kind of came across and learned how to do this, uh, uh, transients have really kind of learned different areas of how to hunt. I mean, particularly the coastal population of transients that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. So these are, you know, the normal teas that we see on a daily basis you hear about. These transients have really adapted and learned behavior culturally of how to hunt in shallow water. Um, the thing is, though, is that not a lot of the haul-out sites um, off Vancouver Island or in the Pacific Northwest are sandy or cobble beaches like the ones up, the one off of Protection Island. So most of them are rocky reefs, uh, usually in, uh, in shallow water, usually deep water that goes up into shallow water quite quickly. Um, it's usually very um, hard rock or, uh, that can injure an orca. Um, so seals haul out on these structures to rest, breed, give birth. But then if you have an area like Protection Island, where it's this soft pebbled beach, uh, gently sloping, uh, it's a perfect uh, recipe for uh, intentional stranding. And this behavior was maybe um, a behavior that might have been just learnt once. This might be the first time we're hearing it of this group doing it. Um, but there's been more data. Uh, Justine shared um, more photographs, um, I think it was a couple months ago, 
like we're actually more than a couple of months now, time's flying by, of uh, the same group of killer whales actually swimming near that island again. So we're, you know, the, that this is probably a new behavior or learned behavior that they've kind of trial and error have learned from probably hunting in shallow water. And often transients hunt in shallow water um, majority of the time, they'll go into these little islands and reefs. But this is that one time where, hey, you know, we figured out that if we just go close enough or we rush up and we can maybe grab a seal, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a neat behavior. That just seems like either brave or crazy because these are really, you know, orcas are really smart. So just the amount of thought to me that is required to go, nope, I think I can go up there. I think I'm going to make it back in the water. <laughs> Any thoughts on, on that? What's going through the whale's mind as it's trying to get to the seal? Um, you know, a lot of the times we see this one behavior, I call it the shotgun behavior. And if you ever, um, there's a hunter will often shoot a rifle or a shotgun into the air and it will scare the prey towards the hunter. Um, and this is something that a lot of ecologists and behavioral scientists have never really understood is why did the prey actually run towards the hunter? Well, in a lot of cases, you get transients that go up to pinniped hollows where seals and sea lions are and they'll smack their tails or get really close. And instead of fleeing higher up onto the hollow, they flee into the, some of them will flee into the water as Justine said. And it's like, what are you thinking? So at this opportune moment, uh, transients maybe have figured out how to rush at a hollow site. Um, if it's rock or if it's a cobble beach like this, um, in this case, and learn to maybe try to scare that prey into the water. Inadvertently though, these transients at the same time got into some pretty shallow water right off Cannon Point on Protection Island and ground. Um, so this was, this is something that maybe, you know, is brand new to these animals and they're thinking of maybe tackling, trying to get prey to get into the water first. I love that. It just, it fascinates me the different ways that orcas hunt in general in different parts of the world and how specific they are in terms of what they eat. But some of these hunting approaches, can you, are there any others that come to mind? I mean, you've seen, like you've seen girlash orcas, like do they, what do they do that's unique? So in 20, uh, 2018 now, it's been, wow. Um, we were in the Gurlash Strait in Antarctica and we had a group of about 20 Gurlash killer whales or type B2s and they had um, gotten a Gentoo penguin. And it's really interesting. They, they, they corral the penguins like they do dolphins. Um, often they'll kind of get a small group on its own and then they chase them underneath the water. And it's kind of surprising that the killer whales are much more maneuverable than the penguins are. Uh, so they often will dart around. Uh, the penguin hid by the, our, research, our, our expedition vessel, and uh, they ended up, um, they got the penguin in the end. And often they'll play with it, though. They'll toss it around. And, um, but often it's a lot of high-speed chases with penguins. That's wild to me, the idea that the orca is more maneuverable than the penguin. You would think that being small, you'd have an edge there. Oh, we have this small video clip of the killer whale, a mother and her calf chasing this Gentoo penguin towards the expedition vessel. And just as the, the penguin approaches the expedition vessel, the mother grabs just enough of the penguin's feathers to hold onto it and then flings it to its calf. Wow. For her calf. And, and basically the calf then tries to grab it, but the penguin gets away. They did this for almost 20 minutes. So that sounds like a mom cat teaching. I, I've actually 
had a mom cat and a baby cat at the same time. And the mom cat brought in, <laughs> brought a uh, pigeon into my house to teach her young how they were supposed to deal with one. That's sort of what that sounds like. Yeah, cultural learning is a big deal in killer whales. They don't have the innate learning ability of some species. Um, knowing where to hunt, knowing these areas, especially where Justine does a lot of whale watching or I'm out in the water, we see these different hollow sites uh, where seals and pinnipeds are found and uh, sea lions and seals. And the killer whales know where these sites are. And it, how they know where they are, because if you look, you know, they, I don't know if it's through the sound of the different structures. I know Ken Norris initially, a famous cetologist Ken Norris, had initially said that he believes that dolphins can actually hear um, underwater seamounts. Um, they can hear, so that's, and, and they go to these regions where there's abundant prey, and these, and these regions um, are 2,000 feet deep where the seamount is underneath the water still, where the dolphins can't possibly dive to, but they still go to these regions continuously to find fish. So in tr the case of transients, do they visually see where they're going at close range along the coast? Do they know where these haul-out sites are? Um, do they, is there a, 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 this kind of hearing ability that certain species of dolphins have or, or killer, it isn't the same with killer whales? How do they know where to go? We'll be following a group of transients off of uh, Souk. And there's a numerous haul-out sites along the Vancouver Island East Souk shoreline. And they'll hit each one going by and then they veer off into the middle of towards Victoria and right onto the middle of Constance Bank and they will straight towards Tri Island where another haul-out site is. And that's over probably about 20 kilometers away. So for them to actually see that, that the find where that one area is and hit all these haul-out sites is quite remarkable. And how they do that and this memory and how they find that area is, is, is pretty fascinating. Very cool. Justine, what's some of the wilder behavior that you've seen in terms of orcas on the hunt? Uh, I think probably my um, behavior that I find most interesting is like you were talking about orcas teaching their young how to hunt. Uh, my last trip that I went on before we stopped for the winter, uh, we actually saw orcas way out west in the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Well, way out west from my perspective. It was actually uh, near Port Angeles. And um, they were steadily heading east and towards the San Juan Islands when all of a sudden they just came to a complete stop. And the first one, after a long dive, we saw the adults come up and the adults were just sitting there, just floating there. And then all of the younger ones were a ways off to our left. And all the younger ones were just splashing and diving and just going crazy. And we were able to see with binoculars, they actually had a harbor seal. And the adults were just sitting there at the surface sort of watching and listening as the youngsters went after it. And after letting the youngsters kind of handle the seal for, oh, about 20 minutes, the big male in the group came in and finished the job. And then they continued heading east and um, then stopped after a few miles and shared the meal with everybody. So uh, seeing transient orcas hunt in general is always just awesome. Very cool. Now. What was the reaction to you publishing this paper? Because it's, I, I think it's kind of awesome that here we are, it's, you know, 2021, and we're discovering new things about a species that we've been studying for a while now. And I think that's really exciting when, you know, different research is showing that we really don't know as much as we think we know. Like I, I put this line in Orcas Everywhere, 
where I said, just because we've only seen a whale do so, these whales do something once does not mean it hasn't been done a whole lot. And we've just never spotted it. So how did people react to this paper? Um, I, I can start at, well, it was really interesting when we got it published. Um, I was really excited. I was like, Justine, we can talk about it. And uh, it was, uh, I, first off, I got a message from some colleagues in Patagonia, actually, in Peninsula Valdez. I have a couple of friends that do research down in, in uh, Ponte Norte. And they had messaged me and they were like, oh my God, you saw killer whales intentionally stranded. Why didn't you tell us sooner? And I said, well, we didn't, like, uh, like Justine and our, like, we didn't want to keep this as until we had an idea of how, you know, what we saw and our description of it was, was correct. And we wanted to make sure it was completely good on paper. And, but the, it's, so far it's been, uh, you know, really interesting. Um, uh, we had Hackeye Magazine approached us, uh, which was really neat. We had a little chat with them. Um, so I think it's been pretty warmly, you know, received. I had a colleague, there's a colleague I know of that once chatted with me about killer whales and he basically said to me, he said, you know, um, everything that's been done on orcas, everything that we can know about orcas is being done. And I kind of took back and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really agree with that. And this is an example, as you said, Mark, that this is something that we don't think we'll ever know enough about the species as something as complex as we are. I don't think we're going to ever know enough about ourselves as humans than what we know about orcas. I think orcas are the basically the epitome of what we are as a species and intelligence or smarter than us. And I, I don't think we'll ever know enough about humans as we know about, as much about orcas. Well, one of the things that has really hit me the more time, the, the more people I've been able to ask about orcas, the more amazed I am that almost everybody has a story that seems to be impossible about orcas where you just go how'd they do that how'd that happen like you know you talking about those orcas just going well we're gonna go 20 miles off course like we're we're gonna follow this like we're an uber driver and google maps has just told us where the traffic is and it's mind-blowing so are there any other instances that come to mind where you're going how'd they do that I, the, one of the craziest things that we saw in our field work in California, Monterey, um, I guess a summer ago, I was, I was, uh, we were watching a group of famous killer whales called the OCT 30s. They're um, a group in our new catalog. Uh, they're well-known gray whale hunters. So these guys are, are expert big whale hunters. They go after the calves of female gray whales. And we had been following a group and we were Every 10 minutes we, you know, follow, you know, the mother, Emma, her name's Emma. She's quite rhetorious, um, gray whale hunter. Justin, you probably heard of Emma. Um, she, she has a way of hunting. They'd follow the edge of the canyon, the Monterey Canyon, which goes quite deep. And um, the edge of the canyon, they're following it. And the mother disappeared. We had no idea where Emma went. Um, we've, but her son and her daughter and her grandchildren were right beside us and we were photographing them and and collecting data on them and we were like where did emma go and we're like and you know and and we are zigzagging back and forth these whales we covered 23 kilometers we were quite out in the open ocean and all of a sudden they just veered all the whole family veered and we had a hydrophone in we were taking we were listening for acoustics and we didn't hear anything as transients are very quiet um so we didn't hear any uh any echolocation clicks or any squawks or squeals or any vocals and the whole group just veered and headed in one direction. And after about 10 minutes of them following this other direction, we saw Emma 
about a kilometer away, uh, we looked through the binoculars, we saw her blow, and she was porpoising, high-speed porpoising after a gray whale mom and calf. How did the family know where Emma was when she had this gray whale? Because she was looking, the matriarch was looking, how did they know where to turn and go towards her at that distance when we didn't hear any vocalizations or hear anything going on? It's mind-boggling. Um, and uh, she's done this a few times, and we we have a new term called canyon foraging. Uh, we've kind of um, we've kind of labeled where they use this canyon to hunt these these gray whales, and they follow the edge of it. It's almost right on the edge. You can, we'll follow it right on the GPS, and there it's it's pretty phenomenal. That is so cool. Thank you, Justine. Is there any incident that you think, yeah, this is this is the one that just is a little hard to believe? Oh, uh, there have been several over the years, but um, the one that always stands out in my mind and when passengers on the boat ask me, you know, what's your most amazing, like mind-blowing experience, I think it was one of the first times I saw transient orcas hunt doll's porpoise um, because up until then, back when I started doing this like 11 years ago, transient orcas weren't that common in the area. Uh, we did see them, but it was more common to see the southern resident orcas. So I thought I had a good idea on what an orca's like physical capability was, like how fast they can swim, how high they can jump and things like that. And that was just all completely turned on its head one day. Um, when I was on, uh, I was working on a catamaran just outside Seattle. We were um, just off West Point, which is the northernmost end of Elliott Bay in Seattle. And we saw splashes in the distance and we thought, oh, there looks like there's some marine mammals, so we're gonna slow down. So we slowed down and I went down onto the lowest deck, which was maybe three feet off the water, right close to um, the water. Um, and I had lots of other people around me, of course, and it was transient orcas chasing doll's porpoise at high speed. And when they do that, they leap high out of the water. The whole body comes all the way up out of the water. And we had stopped a good maybe three, 400 yards away from them uh, because they were moving unpredictably and we weren't sure where they were gonna go. So we gave them a really big buffer so that they can change direction. Well, they were coming so fast that we had to completely just shut down the motor and they were coming right at us. And at one point as they, I could see the porpoise in front of the boat and the transient orca was up above my head. I was looking up at the orca as it flew after this porpoise completely out of the water. And that just blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know they could jump that high. <laughs> huh. Wow, that sounds awesome in every sense of the word. That's just so cool. Is there anything else you two think I should know that, uh, that you want to share about orcas right now? I think that was pretty spectacular. I mean, oh, Justine, that sounded so cool. <laughs> Such a cool encounter. Um, I just think they're spectacular animals. I don't think uh, we're going to stop learning about them anytime soon. Um, and I think we're just going to continue. I mean, there's a even a new killer whale type that's been now discovered in the Me in Mexico and off the eastern tropical Pacific that's just been discovered. So it's uh, um, I think that you know we're just going to continue to learn. So neat. Perfect. Thank you both so much for doing this. I'm really excited to be able to share this one. So thank you. This is great. And thanks for, for sharing this study with the world. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, Mark. Excellent. Have a great night. Good night. Bye. Bye.
Thanks again for listening to Scanna. Scanna is produced in Saanich, BC, traditional territories of the Saanich, Songhees, and Esquimalt peoples. If you like the podcast and want to help us share more stories about orcas, oceans, ethics, and the environment more often, please join Scanna's pod at patreon.com. If this podcast does not work for you, I'm Bruce Springsteen, and my guest today was Barack Obama. I'd like to thank all our Patreon patrons, including Kayla, Simon McNair, Susie Venuta, Christina, Chantel Strand, Robert Anderson, Nancy Campbell, Darren Lern Young, Catherine Dodds, Solomon Siegel, and Yosef Wask. Feel free to join this list at patreon.com backslash scanna. You can also support us at scanna.org with one-time donations through ko-fi.com. That also works through Patreon now. Scanna is also brought to you by Orca Publishing, publishers of my three books about whales for younger readers, Orcas of the Salish Sea, Big Whale, Small World, and Orcas Everywhere. And stay tuned for news about my upcoming books for Orca about sharks. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and our newsletter so you don't miss upcoming episodes with guests like world-renowned primatologist Franz DeWall, author of Mama's Last Hug, Joshua Zeman, director of The Loneliest Whale in the World, and Linda Mapes, the fantastic Seattle-based journalist who just wrote the book on Tahlequah. And be sure to check out our show notes at Scanna.org and our Scanna magazine on Medium. Follow us on social media and share the show with your friends. Heck, share it with strangers. Share it with anyone you can think of. And reviews on your favorite podcast provider are always appreciated. Scanna is produced by the always awesome Ray Manu. Audio engineering this episode is by Rain Banu and Tease McKenzie. Thanks, as always, to our web wizard, Katie Brown. Scanna's theme, Scanna, is by Leah Abramson. Huh? Uh.